You are listening to the Talking Tough Podcast, the world's toughest men and women at their most vulnerable. Their stories of triumph, their falls from grace, and their climb back to the top, to life. This is Rick Bassman here for Talking Tough on the Podcast One Network.
and I go into this long meditation describing five different guys and how have they gone ahead with their pro wrestling training, in my opinion, would have been five of the very top guys in the world, and you are absolutely one of those five guys. So that, that said, I, I stand by the uh, statement I made during the introduction. It's right there in black and white in print. Well, I, uh, wow, Rick, I really appreciate that. I, I've never, I've never, I mean, I don't, I don't even really, and this, this might not shock you, but I don't even talk about my training with you or with anyone else unless somebody brings it up. I mean, I just don't even, I don't, I was just kind of like the show as well. I don't, unless somebody brings it to my attention, I don't really, I don't really talk about it much. And that really, that really, and, and not, a lot of, not a lot of people know that I was involved with you and uh, trying to train to, to become a, uh, to go to WWE, so that's that's really cool of you. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so I've never shared that with you before. Then that, that I thought you had that level of potential. Uh, well, no, I mean you had kind of said it, but I mean when someone says that, you just kind of think, okay, well, you know, how, I mean, I, you know, he's just saying that. It's like one of those, oh shucks, he's just saying that to me. So good at the moment. But I never you say that to all the girls, right? That sort of thing. Exactly. Right. No, that, you know, it's funny. And for, for those out there who are not, quote-unquote, inside or, or know the lingo of pro wrestling, there, there's a phrase called putting somebody over where, yeah. you know, you're basically extolling the, their virtues. Sometimes it's, uh, right. it's sincere. Sometimes it's not. But, you know, to, to put over – and, again, you're right. Not many people know, I think, that you took a, a foray into the wild world of pro wrestling. So no. to put Evan over for a second – you know, I hope you don't mind. So I, guys, by the way, for again, I'm going to keep saying this over and over. For a guy who is so famous, Evan truly is probably the 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 anti of wanting ever to be famous and and very humble at the same time. So, Evan, I'm going to put you over and embarrass you for a second. Um, but let, let me ask you this: you, you're you're a student of pro wrestling. For a guy to be a star in pro wrestling, what qualities does he need? To be a star. Yeah. Um, well, okay, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna really disappoint you, Rick, because I'm That's gonna right. tell you what I I'm gonna I'm gonna tell you what I've heard and what I agree with. How's that? That's fine. Um, the, 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 they can work around your working ability can be limited, but if you're not a good talker, now this is I might be totally going off on a whole nother, but the guys that couldn't put promos and weren't good talkers, they never quite made it. Um. I just think of the great greatest performers or wrestlers that I can remember back in the day, just being really good talkers and really good workers. But man, if they were good on the mic and they could put butts in the seats, as they said, you know, you, you, that was, I mean, that was half the battle, three quarter, three, you know, two, you know, two thirds of the battle. <clears throat> Am I All wrong right. on that? Or? No, I, I, you're absolutely right. I, I think you're you're missing a couple of key points. Not you personally, but let let me fill them in. So you said being good in promos on the mic. Um, I, I definitely thought in in your limited amount of time you spent with us that you had really good aptitude for that. And I, I think you would have gotten even better and better. You you were very uh, John. I'm gonna. I know John hates this because he's a humble shy guy. Also, I producer John. Are you on the line, John? Yes, sir. John's, John's so, probably so, so John, John produces the two-man power trip of wrestling. He's far more expert in the world of pro wrestling than, than I am. So I'm going to bring you into this discussion for a second here. Um, John, it was, it was interesting having Evan in the ring because 
you know, guys walk through the door, and I, and I, I, I hate to even bring up the name <clears throat> John Cena, but when Cena walked through, I mean, you, you can see the, the physical gifts. It was pretty obvious. So Evan, Evan, what are you, 6'5", six, 6'4"? Six, Evan, are you there? Yeah, I lost you, Rick. Oh, Evan, what are you, 6'5", six, 6'4"? Six, How tall are you? Uh, six, five, six, four, yeah, around there. Six, this depends on the shoe. Say six, five. So six, four, and probably your weight at that time was what, two forty, two fifty? I was actually at that time I was two sixty. You were two, um, okay. but you I, were was, jacked I was and I shredded both. I remember that. I had a little hamburger helper in me though. Okay, fair enough. Whatever it took. <laughs> I know the hamburger helper. We all we all um, imbibed in the hamburger helper back in those days. I, yeah, I hear you loud and clear. Then it didn't do for me. I think what it did for you, but that's all right. I don't, I don't want to get you off the subject, but I never look. I never. I, I hear people bring it up, and I hear people look down their nose and stick out their lower lip at that stuff. I, I just look. I tried it. I was on it for a while. I really enjoyed it, but I just. I never. I mean, it, it just. I think it. It. it I don't know. I've never been a big fan. This is going to throw people for. I've never been a big fan of it being illegal. So it's kind of like smoke. You know, it's like smoking with certain age. It's just like smoke, your smoking ears is what I mean. Just smoke all you want, you know. But people take offense to it because secondhand smoke bothers people. Steroids are not going to bother somebody else. You know what I'm saying? It's just what you're. No, that's an interesting way to look at it. I never thought of it like that. No, and I hear you. So, so let's say you were on it for a very limited period, which is fine. But the the point I was making was. Dude, when you walked through the doors that first day at six four, six four and a half, whatever you were, and two sixty, and you you had a very symmetrical physique. You you looked like you know the poster child for the the Vince McMahon pro wrestler movement at that point in your life, and uh, you know, and you weren't ugly either. You know, all you got to do is look at the um, you know cover of Us magazine from back in those days and whatnot. Um, you had the personality. Your your promo work was had great potential. And uh, you may not um, put yourself over in the following manner, but you were very, very natural in the ring. Uh, I think you had all of two matches, if I remember correctly. One was against uh, Brian Kendrick, also known as Spanky. The other was Alcatraz. And then they <laughs> they were both a lot better than they had any right to be for a guy who had two pro wrestling matches. So in my mind, you, you had literally every ingredient that was necessary to uh, to make it. Yeah, I, well, I appreciate that. I mean, I don't, I, I, um, I'd be stupid if I said or told you that I looked back on that and said maybe I'd, <laughs> leaving was a good idea or or quitting. Um, and I don't even know. I can't even remember why I quit. Um, I think I moved. And I was having some financial issues. I, I didn't at that time. I didn't have a pot to piss in or a window to throw it out of. <clears throat> and I had moved to Orange County, which is where the where, which was stupid because that's where the we were we were in Huntington, right? We were at LA Boxing. We were yeah, training yeah, out in the there. Beach, exactly right. Yes. And then we moved over to the Gold's Gym. I remember they had a big room there where we trained. Yep. Gold's Gym in um, Huntington Beach. Yep. Yeah, and I just I don't know. I can't. But I, I'll tell you this much: I I look back on that and I think, well, where would I be right now if I had pursued it, and you know, with your connections over at OVW and and the WWE with with John Laronitis, I mean, who knows where it would have gone? I mean, you can only wonder now. I'm 45 and I'm in, in a lot of pain. So, do you, do you regret not having you? You grew up as a fan. I know that you know a lot about pro wrestling from a fan standpoint. Um, do you um, 
do you regret well, not I, having moved forward with it, or is it just you know what, well, one thing I know about you also, and, and I don't I don't want to say this the wrong way, but it seems to me like in, in a good way that you don't get attached to things. I would say you just don't care, and I, I say that in a good way. Um, but how how do you feel about pro wrestling? Do you regret not having moved forward, or are you cool with it? Well, I'll tell you one of my biggest regrets. This is actually probably a story not many people know. And like I said, I, I told you earlier, I don't really think about this stuff unless somebody brings it up and you're bringing it up. So I'll talk on it. I don't do a lot of interviews either, Rick. I don't know if you knew no, that. No, I do know that, and I uh, I appreciate you doing this one. Um, I asked, uh, I was talking to our, our sometimes very good mutual friend, Tom Howard, and told him I was going to ask you to be on. And Tom's like, ah, Evan will never do it. Evan doesn't do interviews. So I appreciate you being on, man. Well, no, I, I, well, no, I mean, I, you know, I'd help you any way I could, Rick. And and I, uh, I, um, I, I, at the time, you remember Ed Connors? Absolutely, of course, one of the founders Ed, of Gold's Gym worldwide. Yeah. Yeah, Ed Connors um, was was uh, had Shane McMahon's ear, and this was after I'd done the show. So this, so the show went on from like I think the first week in January, and it ended in right. March, and Ed had reached out to me and said, Evan, uh, I don't remember Ed's voice. Something like that. Ed had that voice. And and he, just, he, was, he was very distinct. He said, Evan, I talked to, uh, to Shane McMahon, and I didn't know if I should have done that or not, but he said he was very interested in uh, you calling him and maybe working you know, with them for like a WrestleMania thing. And I, uh, I said, well, did you know about this, Rick? I, you know what? If I did, I don't remember it now. So I, let's say I'm hearing this for the first time. Go ahead. I, I was another one of those things where, okay, Ed, whatever. And I should have not doubted him because I knew he knew a lot of people. But I did. And one day, out of nowhere, I got a call, and it was Shane McMahon. And he said, hey, um, you know, I talked to Ed Connors, and he said he knew you. And, 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 and again, Rick, this was at a time where I – was being where people were calling. People were calling uh, my manager Randy, and and I was I was I was the, I was the flavor of the month, as I like to call it. Let, let, let me give you some quick context, and I apologize, I interrupt a lot during these things. But quick context: you, you've mentioned a few times now the show. I know what you're talking about. I assume most people who know you do, but let, let me let me uh, expound a bit. So the show is Joe Millionaire. This was um, a ridiculously monster hit on on Fox Network, probably one of the first true quote-unquote reality shows out there, uh, with a final episode that was viewed by, I believe, 36 million people, uh, which is just an obscene number, and landed you on the cover of magazines like Us and People and whatnot. So, yeah, uh, I imagine you were getting some calls. So go ahead, please. And Rick, in your defense, you're, you're right. You have to expand on that because I'm not gonna. Because after 15 I know you years, are. 15 years, I call it the show. I don't call yeah. it Joe Millionaire. That, that, I mean, that's I've I just makes the hair stand up on the back of my neck. And and I and and there's I can you know I can get a little deeper into that later. But I I um yeah I did a lot of things and um, I was on Howard Stern show three times and I you know went on Regis and Kelly and I was exposed to a lot of things and had the you know the good fortune to to experience a lot of things. And uh, so, yeah, so I'm, I'm just assuming this was, this was kind of a, a, something that Shane was interested in, you know, 
getting getting me in there to to maybe work an angle um, at WrestleMania. It's like because you know every year they have a celebrity, you know, for WrestleMania, and to him that was going to be you know something that that they were going to. But the problem was is that the storyline he pitched to me was that I would have this angle with Trish Stratus where I stra- uh, I slapped her and. You I know, do remember this now. Yes, of course. Go this? ahead, please. Yes. And I, I just the minute he said that, I just cringed because I thought, you know, I've already got some heat. There you go. There's a wrestling term. I've already got some heat uh, from the public because I'm getting this. You lied to the girls about who you were and all this stuff. And I just thought, man, I, the last thing I need to do is to go, even though they know it's you know scripted and it's you know it's 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 just you know, gladiator theatrics. I can't be out there slapping a chicken, you know, on at WrestleMania. I can't do it. And I had said something to him about, well, you know, Shane, that's that's very interesting. I didn't poo-poo it. I just said, that's very interesting. What do you think about this? I'm Evan Marriott. I'm Joe Millionaire. Who do you have on your roster right now that, that literally is brags about being the 60-minute man, and he's the kiss-stealing, wheeling-dealing, jet-flying, limousine-riding son of a gun. I'm like, how about he takes me under his wing and teaches me how to be a real millionaire, teaches me how to dress, teaches me everything that they were trying to teach me on the show. But he liked, he actually liked that. He was like, that, that's an interesting little concept. Um, and I told, I believe I told Missy Halperin at Fox, who was their director of talent relations. I remember Missy, sure. Yeah. And she said, mm, I don't think so. I, she didn't say no, but she said, Evan, I don't think that, our standards and practice. I was under contract with them. They held me under contract. Yeah, Fox had their control over you at that time, and that's yeah, right. for two years. And I just kind of walked away from it and said, okay, oh, well, oh, well, whatever. And looking back on it, and this is where I'm going with this, um, looking back on it, you know when people do things, it's like that ask for forgiveness instead of permission type thing? Yep. Looking back on it, I probably should have just never said anything to anybody. Showed up, shown up at WrestleMania, shown up at whatever Raw or whatever they wanted to do to start building the program. As long as it didn't have to do with slapping Trish Stratus, I was gonna. That was where I was gonna draw a line. I wasn't gonna do something like that. Well, you, you know what I love about that? As far as you know, whether you had decided to show up or not. I mean, we we all have our, our lives are all full of you know kudos and widows, of course, and and who knows what would have happened. But what I love about this is to me this illustrates it's a perfect illustration of how I look at you as a guy who just doesn't care and again I mean that in a good way and and here's what I mean you grew up as a huge fan I know that your friends know that and right. and John if you're on the line still think about this man here's a guy who yeah, I swear to God John John's probably like hanging from a deuce I swear he's probably like <laughs> no way so think about this guy grows up as a monster fan and now He's getting a phone call from Shane McMahon asking him to be featured on WrestleMania with Trish Stratus, and he's saying no. Dude, you got to love that because it doesn't doesn't fit your morals, and I think that's great. I love it. But but it's more more than that, Rick, because you got to understand this wasn't – not that I would do it now, and I'm not saying that, but you got to understand I was just under a lot of of stress back then, just – wanting to get away from the media, not wanting to do interviews, not just kind of wanting to I, – I, and here's the thing. It was odd to say that that's what I wanted to do after that show, but it wasn't – I wanted I wanted to be – if I was going to be 
you know, recognized for something, and this is what I've said to everyone that's ever asked me, if I wanted to be recognized for something, recognize me for something that is going to mean something at the end of the day, that you're going to take home and go, God, you know, Evan really, you know, that, that cancer drug he, he invented, man, that really, that's really wiped out cancer. Or, you know, Evan had the most rushing yards this, this season. You know, I didn't do shit but show up and take out 21 girls, and I didn't even really do that. And I got all of this recognition for it and fame and money, and I felt guilty about it. I mean, I, I, I can't be any more blunt than that. I felt no, and, I, and, and, and you're, this is a shoot. I know it really does bother you, doesn't it? it I, I carry around a lot of guilt for people that are out there every day busting their ass. Like we got it going on right now with coronavirus. People are out there just trying to make ends meet, and here comes this freaking, you know, pandemic, and it's gonna it's gonna obliterate their savings. It's gonna and I and I've always thought like that because I came from a a family where my dad worked five jobs and my mother. My mother that's a that's a family secret. But when I was a kid, when I was a toddler, my mother was a bricklayer. Just how many people come on and tell you that about their mother? My mother laid bricks. She was a mason to make extra money when I was, you know, three, four years old while my dad was off working. I mean, it was just like I came from a working family, so I knew I knew what it meant to work hard, and, and I felt really guilty being handed this money. And, and Rick, I'm not – look, I just, just – just to really hit the point home, and I've never really told anybody about this. I might have said it in an interview or two. Um, I was making mad money on the parents' – I mean, I mean, money that would make you violently ill if you knew what, I mean, well, I can tell you, you know, you, you've been around this stuff. You've, I mean, I'd make 15 grand to show up for a four hour signing at a mall. And then two days later, I'd, I'd two days yes. later, I'd be at a strip club judging a bikini contest for 10 grand cash. Yeah, and getting paid to go to the strip club, right. And how, and how yeah, all the hot strippers follow over you, right. That's a rough gig, man. I know. Yeah, and this is no shit. And John, I don't know if you're still on, but this is no shit. I mean, I, 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 yes. you know, my, I, my manager would negotiate whoever was the next town I was going to. Say it was, and I did a thing for Young Brands that they had to fly their private jet to come get me. So I'd get on a private jet at, in in John Wayne, and I'd fly out to, I don't know, St. Louis, and I'd do a signing for fifteen thousand, and they'd fly me back. And I just, and this happened overnight. So I just and this whole time, you know, I would I would just be like, how did this happen to me, like this quickly? And 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 it and it just I, and we don't want to get off track here, but getting back to the the, I look back on it now, Rick, and I see, you know, I'll, I don't watch wrestling anymore, but say up till about eight years ago, I would watch, uh, you know, the Hall of Fames and stuff, and they would do like a celebrity inductee, and I would just sit there and look, Rick, and I'd go. If I'd done that WrestleMania, maybe one of those days I would have been inducted into the Hall of Fame. And then to your to your, you know, uh acknowledgement earlier, I never gave myself that much credit, but maybe I could have been that one celebrity that wasn't uh Pete Rose or wasn't uh oh, what's the guy from uh, Cleveland? Uh what was it? He uh oh, Drew Carey. Uh, Drew Carey. Well Lawrence Drew Carey. Taylor even. Yeah, none of these guys or could any, work. Or any of the celebrities. Right. If I if I had worked an angle at WrestleMania, and I'm and I'm not tooting my own horn, Rick, but but do you think? And this you're the perfect person to ask because you saw me. I would have probably been the one person 
TV celebrity. I don't consider myself a celebrity, but TV personality that could have actually worked a match. If if you had kept your head in the game and you did not get injured, you, in my opinion, again, would have been in the upper 20 percentile of big guy workers in the business. I'm, 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 I'm not saying I would have gone out there and had a, a savage steamboat match. Okay, you that's could, not what we're not, well, not talking about. You could have some very good I'm, matches, I'm man, about, I have no doubt I could that. have gone out there and the crowd would have been like, Jesus, I didn't. I didn't know Evan. I mean, what we didn't know he could do this. We didn't. We didn't know he was. You know, I, I just I look at it like that. It was an opportunity missed, and it was because you're right. A, I probably didn't care, and B, I was trying to be the good, um, the good talent, as they call it. You know this. The good they call it. They could, it could make a difference. You are if you're on TV. You're called talent. So uh, I was trying to be the good, dutiful talent for Fox, and it came back to bite me in the ass because I gave up a lot of things. Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it just, um, I don't know. Well, they, I mean, we, we all know they gave you the vehicle of exposure in the first place, which is probably what put those opportunities in front of you. So it's a double-edged sword, certainly. But, um, man, I, I, I would have liked to see what would have happened. And I don't want to, you know, John will tell me, we keep, <laughs> keep invoking poor John into the conversation. John will tell you, I do everything I can during these interviews to stay away from pro wrestling, yet I keep bringing it back to the subject. So I, I, I want to ask you, you mentioned Ric Flair earlier, and that, that was a cool program you pitched. You and Rick became friends for a while. I always try to steer away from pro wrestling in this podcast, but now now I'm in the mode, so I've got a couple more things I, I want to bring up before we move on. Uh, you mentioned Rick Flair I, I, I earlier. Apologize. That, that's just my connection to you, Rick. No, I, I want to keep bringing it up. It's not you. It's me that's doing okay. it. But uh, So I'm apologizing to you and, and going against my, my usual grain here. But you, you had mentioned Flair earlier. You and, you and Rick became uh, hangout buddies for a while, did you not? Um. <laughs> yeah. All right. Give us a good. All right. That laugh says it all. Do, do you have a good Rick Flair story for us? You don't mind telling? I don't. I. Um. Yeah. It, it's not a. I mean. Yeah. I. I it's nothing that nobody already knows. And it's. Um, oh come on, Evan. Hey, say this is a talking tough exclusive, and then well, break it on us. Well, no, 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 Rick. But here's the thing. I told you. Well, I talked to you. Um. And I'm not dodging this question. I'm, I'm going to answer it. But I, I talked to you. <laughs> I think I talked to you what a couple weeks ago, two weeks ago, and I told you I listen to podcasts. Oh, uh, they're entertaining. You know, when I'm in the when I'm in the truck, and I just and I just learned, you know, certain people, you know, like um, Jim Ross and, and guys like that. And sometimes yes. I'll listen to these podcasts, and I'll. And John, you know this. I'm not. I'm not going to say anything you don't already kind of know. And I listen to these podcasts, and I hear these stories, and I'm like, you know, person just saying this to 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 you know just to put themselves over, or just to make it sound like you know they've got a good story on somebody. Um, nothing that I've got on anybody is anything that's that's secretive. I mean, no one, you know, it, but it's just it was just an odd. Um, I had a I had a publicist that was that was. Uh, she was Flair's publicist, and I, God, um, oh, God, her name. I had her for about a cup of coffee. It wasn't Melissa, uh, was it? No, she was Chris Jericho's publicist and mm, Triple H's okay. publicist and Rick right. Flair's publicist. And I knew that Flair had been wrapped in there somewhere because she was Triple H's publicist, and I figured that Triple H just brought Flair along. Um, and her name her name's going to hit me. Uh, but anyway, 
And um, I I met Rick. Uh, I written uh, no Rick. I met Rick Flair backstage when I went back there with you at Anaheim Pond. You and I and Shu went when uh, that's the Matt Weesey who was uh, Luther Reigns Horseshoe, our good friend. You and I, I believe he was there, and you you said Evan, we're going over to the Anaheim Pond. You want to go? I'm like, yeah, thank so we went over there, and I saw Rick, and Rick actually said to me, he goes, I've watched your show when I can, and I thought that was, I was like, you think you watch my show and shit. Triple H had a big shitting grin on his face. And then uh, I ended up doing a show, and John, you might remember the show. It was called Morning Pizza. Do you sounds remember very, Morning Pizza? Yeah, it sounds very, very familiar. It was on ESPN. Cold Pizza. Cold Pizza. Cold Pizza. You're yep. right, Cold Pizza. I'm sorry, morning pizza. I'm bringing a morning toe. <laughs> right. And, and I saw, and I walk in, and I uh, and Rick is there, and he had remembered seeing me at the pond, and he gets up and shakes me and shakes my hand, and we talk. We we're in the green room, and he said, "Evan, I'm going to be in, uh, I'm going to be in Santa Monica. I'm going to be in L.A. on this such and such a day." And I was so honored that I can't remember. And he goes, uh, "Here's my number. Call me, and uh, on this, you know, and, and we'll we'll go out." And um, he ended up being at the Viceroy in Santa Monica, and uh, he just said, hey, I'm, I'm going to be here for four or five days. Get a room, and we'll we'll go out and grab drinks. I'm thinking, wait a minute. I mean, this what turned out to be just dinner with he and his you know, wife, and, you know, his, his, gonna, his wife was flying back to Charlotte, and he just wanted to find a party partner. And I was dating a girl at the time named Lisa Ligon, who was not bad to look at. She was pretty easy on the eyes. And uh, she had some friends, and we all went, and I don't even know the name. I think, I can't remember the name of this club. It might have been Hush or Shush or I don't know what the hell it was. And it was in L.A., and then we, we went out there. And I'll tell you, this, I'll tell you this, the Ric Flair story that no one's ever heard. We were all at a table, and this place, i got to figure out the name of this club, but it was uh, Hugh Hefner used to go there on Friday and Saturday nights, and he had his girls with him. And we're all at a table, and we've got a nice selection of girls at our table because uh, Lisa ran a dance group called Perfect Angels, and I think they're still around. And they do these dance; they're like they're like uh, Harley Davidson cheerleaders. They go around all these big Harley, you know. And they, she's 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 actually made a good career out of it. And we have. Uh, I'm looking at her. I googled her while we're on the phone. She is definitely not horrific looking by any means. No, no, and no, no, and and, and and a sweetheart, and a sweetheart. I mean, an absolute sweetheart. Not one of these girls that thinks her shit that stink. I mean, she is just as genuine as they come. And right under her name, under related searches, it says Lisa Ligon husband, and your photo is there. I kid you not. Anyway, I thought you might want to know that. Well, I never married her. So. <laughs> Fair enough. Um, but, just what it shows. But anyway, this is a great Ric Flair story, and this is not a knock on Rick. This is actually, this is how he really believed in who he was. I went over because I had been... I'd already been to the Playboy Mansion one or two times, and Lisa was always in my ear going, you need to do this, you need to do this. And you, I mean, not in a bad way, but she was always like, you know, who knows that you were at the Playboy Mansion, you need to go over and, and say, um, you know, I, I had a really good time at the party. And I, and I didn't know. I just said, I had a good time at the party last, the last party, and, and um, you know, just, you know, whatever. Just go over and say hi, right? So I did that. And I'm looking at her like, oh, all right, I'll go over there and thank him for inviting me. And that's what it was. Thank him for inviting me. She goes, because then you get another invite back. He'll make sure, because he hand selected those people at that time, right? 
I didn't know. This is this is Hugh Hefner we're talking about. Hugh Hugh, Hugh Hefner, right? So oh, I go over to Hugh, now. Rick and the girls are sitting at the table. I go over to Hugh Hefner and I say, you know, it's not your last party, midsummer night, whatever the fuck. And uh, I didn't say it like that, but I said, uh, you know, and I just want to thank you for the invite. It was a lot of fun, and hope you're having a good night. And he looked at me and he said, hey, thank you so much. And uh, and he said, I see, and he said this. I, it's God is my witness. He said, I, I see you over there with with Rick Flair. And I, he knew him. <laughs> That's awesome. And I said, right. yes, sir, I am. And he goes, well, he goes, well, I, he goes, well, uh, well, tell him to come by and say hi to me. I'd love to talk to him. I said, well, I'll do that. I go back to the table, and I sit down. And I'm sitting next to Rick, and I said, Rick, I said, I was just over there. I said, and I didn't know. I didn't know. I said, I, Hugh Hefner just told me he, he recognized you and said, if you want to come by and say hi. You know what Rick said to me? Goes, <laughs> I, I, I think I, I think I have the correct guess, but go ahead. Or should I guess? He said, he said, if he wants to talk to me, he can come over here. That's what I figured. <laughs> oh, man, that's awesome. <laughs> and and wow. I, I really, I've never <laughs> felt, I've never, I wanted to, if, if, Rick, I mean, you know, you know how, I mean, I, John, I wanted to slide under that table. My my six foot four body wanted to slink under that table. I was so embarrassed that I had said that to Ric Flair because I literally felt like I I just offended him and I didn't know I wouldn't I wasn't thinking right. But anyway, so that was that was that was a one night outing and then uh, the one you guys probably want to hear is we were sitting there by the pool and he had just had so- shoulder surgery and um he just looked over at me and uh, he had known that I knew guys like uh, Matt. Rick, he he knew that I knew Matt, and he knew, you know that 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 I had kind of known a couple of the guys backstage, like like John. <laughs> so I think he was comfortable asking me this. And Tom knows this story, um, but he just looked over at me like it was no big deal, and he goes, "Hey, I'm I can't reach." Like he goes, "I'm having a hard time with, with my shoulder," and he was. I mean, he wasn't saying he he was a damn good you know he was damn good at faking it because everywhere we went, he looked like he was really not doing well with his shoulder. And he goes, can you stick me? And I said, yeah, sure. What do you got? And he goes, well, I got enough in the room. So my claim to fame is that I stuck, I think it was Decca. Decca, yeah. I think I, I stuck Ric Flair with Decca in his hotel room. There's my Ric Flair. <laughs> right. Well, that, 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 that's a visual I'm going to try to not carry was, with for too but, long, but, but I appreciate but, that. But, but, Rick, I mean, you know, not in the, not in the, not in a lot of guys, uh, you know, that, that, that were back then that we were all training. A lot of guys didn't like needles, and you know, with my my heroin addiction back, no, I'm kidding. No, with, with my uh, with my, I just didn't bother them. I don't like razors, so I would have never been good at you know getting color. But uh, needles never bothered me. So just a lot of guys would say, "Could you can you can you stick me?" Because I just can't do it. And I'd be like, "Yeah." No, but I would sure. always tell them. I remember that well. Sure. But I would always yeah. tell them, you know, because a lot of guys, a lot of the dumb, lot which. There were a lot of them. A lot of the dumber guys would mix the anabolic and the, you know, and the androgenic steroids, which one's an oil and one's a, uh, you know, water-based. And they would, you know, they would use separate syringes. And I'd be like, no, bozo, you put the, you put it all in one syringe and you do it in one shot. It's like ripping a Band-Aid off. You don't, you know what I mean? You don't shoot this one and then shoot that one and then shoot that one. You do it all in one go. John, am I scaring you? <laughs> nope, not yet. It, Am I scared? Okay, because I'm, you know, I'm, you probably didn't expect this out of Joe Millionaire, did you? <laughs> no, definitely not. I'm shocked. I'm, I'm shocked just, right now. I'm, I'm messing with you. Um, so, yeah, so that was, I think that was, so that, yeah, I, I, that was my thing. I stuck 
Ric Flair, and over the years after that, then we just like a lot of people he's around, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just think he lives a life that a lot of people kind of fade from, and I just lost contact. I talk with his ex a lot, though. Not a lot. I talk to Tiffany, one of his exes, every every once in a blue moon. Yeah, well, we we drift apart. I mean, you you and I lost touch for numerous years, also, and we right. seem to uh, get back in touch, which is great. Yeah, and that's 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 how life goes, man. So I want to go just back real quick. Can I tell a, Can I tell a story on you? Of course. Yes, go so for John, it. John, I live I live in the same apartment that does Does John know Tom? Oh wait, did you say story? You told me a story about what? I'm sorry. Did, did, does John know Tom? John knows uh, of Tom Howard, certainly. Yeah. Yep. Okay. So, yeah, so, uh, but anyway, Tom was my real I'm sorry, real quickly for our listeners out there, Tom Howard, uh, if, if you're not familiar, was probably, he's a guy I call my best friend in pro wrestling. He was the head trainer at Ultimate University in my wrestling school for many years, and a guy who had started with AAA in Mexico, zero one in Japan, and a, a hell of a worker, and, uh, and trainer both, and and he fought six times in K1. Very interesting guy. Sorry, Evan, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, well no, well, Tom was a real good. Tom was a good guy, real soft spoken, and you just you know you always you never minded being around Tom because he was just a pretty laid back guy. And and um, Rick, the, I live in an apartment complex here. Rather, you know, it's a, like a little little beach community complex here, right across the street uh, from the beach in San Clemente. And I was in her. I was. I was introduced to this little complex from Rick Bassman and Tom and Rick, you know, everybody else had apartments here and Rick had an office here. Like he turned his apartment into an office. Yeah. And this was, and, a, this was like Melrose place with the pool in the middle overlooking the ocean. And we turned that into, anyway, go ahead. You, John, you got the story. Yes. John, I'm telling you, I walked into Rick's office, which was supposed to be an apartment, which I don't think the landlords gave a shit what he was doing in there. It was a full bar. You know, he had an office in the back. He had two hot girls, you know, working for him in the back. You know, and I thought I walked into this place. I thought, man, I, I want to be, I want to be a part of this, right? So I'm still living in one of the apartments. Fifteen years later, I'm still living in the same apartment that I moved to because the apartment came open, and I moved in, and I've been here ever since. Yeah, you know, and and, and that's that's like one of the many things that I find interesting you uh, interesting about you, Evan, is. You know, I don't want to spend too much time on Joe Millionaire either, but I, I reference it only because, well, hey, you're, you're you're known for that to a large degree. It was so monster huge, and it, in my mind, so there you were, being flown around on private jets, making tons of money to go to strip clubs, being on the cover of Us and People, and in my mind, you've always been a much happier guy when you grow your beard out, grab a drink, and kick back in your apartment in San Clemente. And that, I think that's, that's something, there's a lot to be said for that. And even envied. Did you ever, did you ever tell John about the bachelor party or the bachelor, not the bachelor, the bachelor auction that you and you and, uh, you, you tried, you got me, you signed up in around that time. No, man, you know, I've forgotten so much. I've forgotten more stuff than most people I think ever lived in a lifetime. I, I'm gonna, I'm gonna plead the fifth on this one, man. I don't know what you're talking about. You, you approached me and said, Evan, they're doing a charity benefit. They're doing a bachelor auction in Irvine, and uh, and oh, I'm Scott. Who is your ex, ex-wife? Um, uh, Gab Gabrielle. Oh my ex-wife, Gabrielle. Yes, of course. Gabrielle, Rick had Rick had Rick had a really sweet wife, Gabrielle, 
and she she talked me into it. I said, no, Gabrielle, I want to do it. Rick goes, Evan, come on. Gabrielle thinks it's good for you. You do it. I'm like, no, no, no. I've grown this beard out, right, at a time where beards weren't real popular. And my mother said, Evan, what are you doing with that beard? You look like you're homeless. I'm like, I, I just, I don't know. I just, and literally, John, this is 2005, you know, so this wasn't a, this wasn't a, you know, like there's, there's Instagrams with guys with beards and there's beard, you know, there's beard balms and beard lotions and beards, you know, they weren't the hot item for guys back then, right? And um, because I had been on this show, they put me on last. Well, uh, let's put it this way. I walked out to this sea of women, and they, if if, if they could have, if they could have scrambled to the door, it wouldn't have been more obvious. I didn't get one. I don't. Rick, remember that? I didn't get like no one, no one bid on me. I think yeah, I got this like is coming back now. Yeah, it is right. Do you remember that? Yeah, I, I do remember this now. I think yeah, it's a reminder. Yes. Yeah. The, I'm walking the, to the back, going, man, that that didn't work out too well. Now did it? Hey, well, nothing venture, nothing gain, right, Evan? Yeah, right. Uh, yeah, I suppose. I did. So, so you you come from a humble humble background. You move out to California. You're approached one day by somebody you never met before about doing this little TV show, and the the next thing you know, almost quite literally overnight. You're arguably the most famous person in America, at least for you know a certain period of time. And everything that you would think would come with that does. You described some of that before, and then it's pretty quickly it's over. When you know, it, on talking tough, we talk we talk we exchange a lot of stories. You know, sex, drugs, and rock and roll stories, even the fun stuff that that made people you know what the public perceives them to be. But we talk about the other side also, because you, you know as well as anybody, and I know this because I know you, that for for every for every positive action, there, there there's a negative action as well, or there, there's a down for each up. When everything ended, was that a down for you, or was it a relief? Um, it was a relief. Um, so prior to that, and I had a little bit of questions. I thought I knew the answer for that, and I was right, which doesn't happen often. Um, what's, what was the toughest part of it? Do you remember any part of that period of time where you're just like, fuck, let me out of this. This is awful. Um, well, I was, I was the – I did that to myself. Um, because I remember the conversation. I remember I was, I had told you before, I would go out to these cities and I would travel from city to city and I would do these appearances. And I went all as far as Canada. I went, I mean, everywhere. I mean, pick a place. Every, inside North America, uh, Toronto, Vancouver, Miami, St. Louis. I mean, it was like a wrestling. I mean, literally, it was like a wrestler. I was in a different city every other night or every other two nights. And um, what I was doing as well, which both of you guys, John and Rick, you guys will get this. I was waking up at 3 in the morning or 3.34 in the morning to do on on, on the West Coast, if I was actually home or wherever I was, to do an interview, a radio interview for my next appearance, say it was on the East Coast. So I would get in late at night, 
you know, 11, 12 o'clock, 1 in the morning, and I'd have to be up four or five hours later to do a radio interview, and I'd never experienced this before. And I'd want to just beat the shit out of somebody because I was, you know, because uh, I was just all, you know, I was just tired and I was worn down. And I remember Randy would give me these, um, God, Rick, it's almost like par- parallel to wrestling. It was almost like a booking sheet. Randy was my manager, John. That's who I'm referring to. Um, and I keep I keep referring to John because I'm I'm trying to pull him along with all these people. Rick, you know. <laughs> no, that's people. good. That's all right. You're you're. Well, I'm you're trying. Right. Rick, you know these people. John doesn't. I feel like I'm talking to John, but I'm talking to every all your listeners. But um, Rick, Rick uh, Randy would give me these uh, like these bookings, like a month out, and it would be all the places I'm going, and it was right next to it what I'm going to make. At what date? And I literally called him a couple weeks before, and I said that I was done with it. I said I'm done. He goes, "What do you mean you're done?" I said, "I'm done. I can't. I can't do this." I said, "I'm. I'm. I'm about to lose my shit." Now, now here's a guy that's making ten, fifteen grand an appearance, Rick. That's how. And and being flown first class or private, probably staying in five star hotels. Got that's how got the hottest chicks in the world throwing themselves at him. I know, I get it. It sounds pretty awful. Well, well, that was the funny thing is that I didn't have a whole lot of chicks throwing themselves at me. That's the, you know, I, I wasn't, I wasn't, you know, I wasn't Nikki Six. All right, I, no one was trying to get with this band. All right, I was just this dorky. To, to, seriously, it was this weird thing because I, I would, I, I never really had. That's a whole other story. But I was, I was, it was. I didn't, I didn't have like this. Everybody thinks I had like these groupies that were running around. I, I didn't. No one was no one was lining up to, to fuck Joe Millionaire. I promise you that. I mean, it was it was a because it was just kind of this weird, you know. Evan, you shattered so many illusions with that statement. But yeah, that's know, all right. Know, Go ahead, it's please. Not that I didn't have. It's not that I didn't have fun. It's just that I just it was just it wasn't what people would think. Um, but I just I I I told him I said I'm done. I can't. I'm burned out. I am absolutely burned out. And I wasn't saying I'm done forever. But I said, and this is the part you'll get, Rick, I said, I, I need to take a break for a couple weeks. And Rick said to me, he goes, you don't get a break. Or I said, Randy said to me, he goes, Randy you, don't said, right. he goes, you don't get a break. And I'm like, what do you mean? He goes, Evan, the minute you go away, you don't come back. So you need to ride this, you need to ride this horse until it, it, you know, it runs its course. And I said, I, I can't do that. I remember the conversation. I said, I can't do that, Randy. I said, I'm, I'm, a, I'm about to snap. I said, I'm just tired. And I want to, I'm sick of the interviews. I'm sick of the shaking the hands and kissing the babies. I said, I'm tired. And he goes, all right, that's how you feel. And, uh, he was right. I did. I, uh, and he had bookings for me. He had, he had months and a couple more months of bookings and, uh, no telling how much money I'd given up, but I just, I didn't realize it, but I just started being irresponsible too. I mean, I just, you know, I was, a sucker for a sad story. A couple months behind on my mortgage. Oh, here you go. You know, my buddy, my, my brother can't make his carpet. Oh, here you go. You know, I just, I, I, I you know, I just, and, um, I didn't have a job. You had a lot of money. You're giving, you're giving it away now. Well, yeah. Um, and, and I didn't, and I didn't have a steady job. So I was, I had a nine to five or I just had a bunch of money in the bank. So I was eating out every night. I was going to clubs, you know, I'm, 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 you know, I, I went and bought, I had that Mercedes. Remember that, the, the big Mercedes I had and, I had to, I had some real estate. I bought some real estate, but I just no one had ever taught me um, how to manage money. And my father actually was a financial advisor, and he tried to talk to me, and I'm like, ah, what do you know, old man? 
Of course you did, right? You right. know the answers. So were, were you what you might call depressed at that time, or was it just simply tired? No, I was just tired. It wasn't a depression. I was just burned out. And, um, you know, and, and uh, I just um, – and then I and then it's funny is because everybody you know finds something and I found drinking. <laughs> well, and, uh, let's let's talk about that, man. You know that that seems to be and 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 I'll, I don't want I don't mean to say you're not special, but that seems to be a pretty prevalent uh, topic of conversation amongst the guests here on Talking Tough. Um, you have guys like yourself who, who seemingly are at the top of the world and and have right. it all in the palm of their hand and. Something creeps in, whether it's drugs or, or alcohol, that kind of like takes a chink out of the armor. What, what happened, man? Well, no, I just I I um, you know, it, it, when when you could have drank, when you could have, well, okay, well, my my nights back when I was tame consisted of, I say tame, but I'm start the night. This was my kind of my thing. I would start a night with uh, a shot of wild turkey and an Amstel. And that was that was that was my thing for years. I started my night with a shot of wild turkey and Amstel. And when one beer turns into three beers and four beers, that's fine. But when it turns into a case, you know, and you're just drinking a case of beer just to drink a case of beer. You know, and it's and it's not for any other particular reason that my reason was I had nothing else better to do with my life, Rick. I mean really that was as sad as it was. I wasn't trying to escape from anything. I just um, I would do something as pathetic as go to a friend's <clears throat> offices who were working, and I'd walk in and plop down and go, "What are you doing?" And they're like, "We're working." And they're like, "What are you doing?" And I'm like, "Well, I don't know," because I had, you know, half a mil in the bank, you know, and I thought I was rich, and I wasn't. I mean, I had a lot more than most, but I just was kind of I just didn't, you know, I didn't think about it because I had nowhere to be. I had no purpose. Does that make sense? So you're wandering around aimlessly with a half mil in the bank, drinking a case of beer. What happened I, next? Um, well, I mean, I got out easy. I got out easy because I had a friend of mine who basically, well, I was out to lunch with him one day, and this was so <clears throat> 2000, end of 2004, right into 2005, things totally started winding down because I got a really good run. Um, Appearance-wise, through 2003, 2004. Remember, I went to Iraq as well. Remember that? I do remember that, of course. Yeah, I mean that that must have been a thrill. I would think. Oh yeah, no, it was great. I loved it. I mean, as, as much as anyone could love going to Iraq. Well, of course. Um, but yeah, no. So around 2005, things started really. That was it. I got a couple good couple year run out of it. And a friend of mine just pulled me. I was at lunch with him. I said, I really don't know what I'm doing in my life. And he goes, Well you could go back to work. <laughs> I'm thinking, well, you know, I, really? And that's when he basically just told me, I, I got out lucky, Rick, because I had a friend that believed in me and said, look, you know, you got money in the bank. You know, you're good at you. I was a contractor for years. Uh, yeah. He says, uh, go back to work. That's he's talking, referencing going back to contracting. Correct. Yeah. And then I, and he just said, look, I'll help you. Um, and uh, you got money. You, you've got plenty of capital. You know, just get back into contracting, and and um and 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 I got to tell you, Rick, I literally he he gave me he was going out of town, and he said I've got a couple of jobs, and I'm just going to give them to you. You do them. Uh, my the wife and I are going to go out of town for a couple of weeks, and I did them. And I remember calling my dad and going, man, I I really feel like I've been paroled. Like I I I got a new lease on life. Like 
I'm back to me. Like I'm back to what, what's good and safe in this world. And, and uh, well, a lot of people, let, let me, let me interrupt for a second. Sorry. And, and take this in just, just to, to take this point. So you've been traveling nonstop around the country, if not around the world, oftentimes yeah. private, if not that right. first class, I'm sure. You're going yeah, yeah. to things like strip clubs and leaving with 15 grand cash or whatever your pay was for the night. Um, right. You're on the cover of some of the biggest magazines on the newsstand, and you feel like you've hit the mother load when you're back driving a con- driving a tractor on a on a job digging a swimming pool. It, I mean, it's... It's funny to say, but I mean, and, and, and that's why I, I, I tell my, I tell my folks, you know, I, I got lucky because I, um, and a lot of people don't, again, I, I keep talking to you guys like, like you don't know, but you guys are more savvy than most. A lot of the people that get into, especially reality television, they think that's their fifth break still does. So if they get a hit, or they are even they're not even the say they're not even the main like I was the main I was I was the main guy on Joe Millionaire. I was Joe Millionaire. I was the guy. I was the focus, right? The girls Absolute that force, yes. the the girls that, that that you know might have made it to I don't even what, what do you call it? Like the second or third pick, right? You know, they weren't even the finalists. Um, you know, these girls thought that they were because they were on T V, which back then that was a big thing. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was a much bigger thing then than now, certainly. Right, and they, they I mean, I, I, I know of people, they weren't even on my show, that, that ended up moving to L.A. thinking that they all of a sudden they were a star. They slept on couches, you know, they, they refused to work in a restaurant or wait tables or do anything that would be beneath them because they were stars. They had already been on TV. And they ended up, I mean, I know countless people, some of them ended up homeless, living out of their cars because they just, they didn't get it. And that was one of the reasons, Rick, I was asked, not by Randy, because Randy knew better, but I was asked by a few people that had approached me around Randy. They'd gone around Randy to get to me and say, hey, well, do you, do you want to come to a reality show convention? I'm like, a reality show convention? Let's go to the fucking mall. I mean, it, it, <laughs> what's a reality show convention? I mean, what, what is that? Like, even Comic-Con is something that, you know, or so it has some kind of substance behind it, or, or even a wrestling, you know, to go meet wrestlers that, entertain you to give it a, a reality show convention and I was going to get paid two, three grand to sit in the booth and sign autographs and I thought to myself who, 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 who's going to leave their home on a Saturday to come to <laughs> Marriott sign an autograph I mean, I mean it's like I just it, it didn't make sense to me so I yeah so to, to get back to normal life was just something that I literally I was very fortunate to have that happen for me and it didn't happen for a lot of people and you segued back pretty seamlessly, it sounds like. I mean, I, I, look, we know a lot of guys from our world, even our good friends, Tom Howard, Matt Weesey, who, who you mentioned. And I'm not saying anything they themselves haven't said publicly. A lot of us have really gone through the shit, man, you know, dr- drug abuse and and depression and, and even homelessness for some of us. Um, it, it never got that low for you. you. Do you feel like you've lived under... A, a lucky star, or you just make the right choices at the right time. Okay, we'll go right back to that. So, so Evan, we we've talked about during this podcast. Um, we've talked about Tom Howard, Matt Weesey, um, 
these are things that they themselves have said publicly, so I'm not outing them. Guys like Tom, like Matt, like Sean O'Hare, who we both had a close relationship with, uh, myself um, included in the following example, uh, d- depression, addiction, homelessness for some of us, uh, you you seem to have been able to avoid all those pitfalls, thankfully. Well, um, I, it, doesn't, it doesn't mean that I haven't really come close, you know, because, Rick, uh, I – I remember the date. Um, two, well, it was 2008, and it was October 18th, and I was working on a job in Fountain Valley, and I remember um, the woman at my bank calling and saying, um, "Hey, Evan, uh, this is D, and I, uh, your account is overdrawn, and I need you to uh, transfer some money." Uh, into that account, and I didn't. I only had one account at this bank. At this bank, right? So, so I said, okay, yeah, I'll get some money in there immediately. And uh, she goes, okay, great. Uh, when can we expect that? I said, it'll, it'll, I'll have it transferred the next 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 day or two. She goes, okay, we'll try try to get it in tomorrow. I said, okay, great. And I hung up with her, and I just sat down in the curb because I didn't have any more money. I was dead broke, and I that was the the one point where I was so so when I say I've been you know, uh, four, three years earlier, you know, when I had done my first job uh, back in construction, I felt really good. But what I was doing was I was still living like I was on TV um, because I still had that rush of money. And I was still going up to L.A. and staying in five-star hotels. And I was still going out to Mastro's and I was still throwing around money like I had it. And I did have it, but I just didn't have it coming in. <laughs> I had it in right. but I just didn't have it coming in. You know what I'm saying, Rick? You, you know. You oh, know yeah. You've been there. Of course. And uh, so I literally sat there on the curb and thought, man, I'm, I'm dead broke because I'm overdrawn <laughs> by $180. Two hundred dollars, whatever it was, and um, I had just done a job for a friend of mine's father, and he hadn't paid me yet. And my profit margin wasn't much, but I knew if I got that check, I could maybe pull myself out of it. And yeah, it's weird, Rick, because I managed to stay in this place, but but you know what, a lot of people don't know, and not that I would go out and you know shout it to the rooftops, town crier around here ringing a bell telling everybody my business, but. You know, there were a lot of times in this apartment where I was house poor because I was living in this apartment, but this apartment was my, uh, what's the term? This apartment was my, uh, it was, what's the word I'm looking for, Rick? This apartment not defined me, but the apartment was my. Yeah, I know what you mean. I'm having trouble too, but it, it was just, I don't know if sanctuary is the right word either. It's almost like, as if you were hiding out it's it, it, it's it's not sanctuary. It's this part. It's almost of like you're hiding out there in a way. It sounds like the thing that defined. Not, I don't want to say defined me, but I knew that if I left this apartment, this really bitchin' apartment um, in San Clemente, that that's that that I that would be it. Like if I if I moved all my stuff out and locked this door, I would have, I was a failure 
And, and that's, a bad, that's a bad feeling, man, because you and I both at this point in our lives know that, you know, when, when one door, at, at the risk of sounding like a cliche, when one door closes, another one opens, or hundreds of others can. But I, it, it sounds like you're, you were in a dark place that I've been many times where you just don't see any other alternatives or possibilities, and that's a bad feeling, man. It is. Well, and you know this all too well because you, I don't know how you've done it, but you, you like, you jump. You you know the story all too well, Rick. You you have made a lot of money, <laughs> a lot of money. I know you have, and you have you have managed to keep afloat. And 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 we're just guys that figure out that way to do it. Now, was I eating a shitload of uh, spaghettios? Yeah, those ninety nine cent cans of spaghettios. Of course, I wasn't. You know, I was. You know, I was buying the cheap bourbon. You know, in the cheap deal. But I, uh, you know, and I was passing out every night, you know, because I was trying to drown my sorrow, you know. And I'm just thanking God that I didn't turn to drugs and stuff like that. But I was thinking, you know, this. I'm, I'm, I'm not much of a. Used to be years ago with Stefan and all you guys when we'd go out. But I've actually become somewhat, or had become somewhat of a recluse. And so I just, you know, it, I, I wasn't, I didn't associate with enough people to get into something heavier, and I don't know why. Um, so that that all happened in '08, and I was dating a girl at the time, and then uh, this went in through '09, where I was just kind of just trying to make it. I was doing anything. I was beg barring and stealing, and went stealing, but I was beg, you know, just doing everything I could to stay in the apartment. And then she took my girlfriend took her life, uh, which I think you know about that. Yep. Um, well, she like, she I didn't do, take her life course. on my she didn't take her life on my watch. We were split up two months, and she had met this new guy, and and but it was close enough to a little too close for comfort. And then just for some odd reason, I, I don't just in 2010 and 11 in 2011 I shattered my leg, and ended up getting some disability for that, which allowed me to stay in this apartment and and kind of keep going. It was just these things just kept. You know, I just was able to do it, and and, and uh, yeah, I mean, it was, it's crazy, it's crazy, and and I just I waded through these rough waters, man, and then I don't know how where it happened, it just ended up turning around for me, like in 2012, 13, 14, 15. Okay, so now flash forward to the year 2020. What is, what does your life look like these days? I'm sure people want to know. We're we're talked a lot about the past, and this has been interesting. I, I've heard a lot that. Um, I didn't know, so I, I appreciate everything you shared today. What does your life look like now? What's what's a day in the life of Evan Marriott like? Um, <laughs> it's a lot, it's a lot more structured. Um, I will tell you this, and this is going to make you chuckle. If I could just learn to get back in the gym, I'd probably be a little bit better off. Um, you and Tom have always been good at that. No matter what was going on in your lives, <clears throat> um, I can't say the same for Stefan. Does John know Stefan? You know, I mean, no, John may not. Stefan Gamlin, I, and I love to describe Stefan to people because, Evan, you know what's funny? Nobody has ever heard of Stefan. And Stefan is this six foot, seven inch, 360 pound, fun loving, pussy chasing, 
alcohol swilling wild man who would give you the shirt off his back in half a second. And he had a WWF, not a WWF contract. He played pro football. Um, he was on Battle Dome, which was uh, the Gladiators' takeoff. And he also was the guy that um, single-handedly won the FX special when UPW Ultimate Pro Wrestling beat the National Football League on uh, on the Tough Man competition. So that's Stefan, and probably probably one of the probably the top one of most uh, fun guys to go out with. So there you go. There's Stefan. Yeah, as long as you could catch him on the second or third double gin and tonic. <laughs> you were good. Oh, you start biting people in public. Is that what you mean? Or pulling his pants down? Well, yeah. Well, 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 we were in Newport. You weren't there. I don't know where you were. You were usually around. Um, you might have been, but it was me and Stefan. I'm sorry, John. I'm going to get off on another story. But it was me and Stefan and Shu, and we were in Newport. The horseshoe with the reins. Yep. <laughs> and Stefan was a monster, man. But he, he, we went into this bar, and Ste- and Shu, Shu doesn't drink, but I was at the bar. Shu said, or Stefan said. Give me a double gin and tonic, brother. And I said, I will. So I, uh, I'm ordering our drinks. He goes to the bathroom, and I, I, I looked at you. He'd been in there for a long time. I said, holy <laughs> shit. And he goes, he goes, he goes, he goes, I don't know, bro. And I said, I said, well, shouldn't we? And I, the minute I was trying to get out, shouldn't we go get him? He comes out of the bathroom. I mean, Stefan was bigger than 6'7", wasn't he? Wasn't he like 6'8"? Six, eight, eight, like 6'7", six, 360. I think that's pretty fair. Because he was a big dude. I mean, he I looked like a baby next to him. And he came out of the bathroom with a guy bigger than him. Did you ever hear this story? I, this, again, does not sound familiar. No. This guy looked like a basketball. He was kind of taller and lanky, but I'd never seen a dude bigger than Stefan at that moment. And Stefan, I thought it was just because Stefan had him by the throat and had him up against the wall. But the guy literally, Steph, the guy was on his feet, and Stefan was reaching up, choking, and bringing him out of the bathroom. And supposedly, and this is how nice the guy was, John, supposedly Stefan had been in there taking a shit, uh, no, no, taking a leak, and looked over, and the guy, I, I don't know if he was assault, I don't think he was assaulting a girl, but the guy had a girl in, Stefan didn't like it. So Stefan grabbed him and dragged him out. And, and, the bouncers, this is how big this dude was, John, and the bouncers, instead of grabbing Stefan and taking him out, looked at you and I and said, can you oh, get yeah. your buddy out of here? <laughs> of course. Bouncers aren't going to get involved in that. Hell no. And Yeah, and Shu looks at me and goes, are you going to take, are, are you going to, are you going to get him out? I'm like, what am I going to do? You know, and Stefan's, seriously, Stefan's like four or five double gin and tonics deep at this point. Oh, I, and I, I know that Stefan all too well, yes. Oh, yeah. We got him out of there. But but that was just it was just one of those nights with 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 Stefan. I don't even know where the hell I was going with that. But hey, you know it's it's a fun story, and I'm thinking I should probably have Stefan on because he would be even though people for some reason don't remember him, he is one of the most hysterical human beings in the history of this planet. He'd be fun to talk with, wouldn't he? Oh yeah, oh he'd be great. Evan, you know what? I I know that um I don't know how much time you have left, but I think at a certain point before we um end this uh this interview. I'm thinking we ought to try to dial Stefan in and surprise him for a second. That might be kind of funny. Yeah, I don't have his number. I don't think I do. I've got I have like 17 phone numbers for him, but I'm pretty sure I know what the current one is. So well, he has a different job every year. So I don't know. <laughs> every half year, I know he does. That's just a nature. But, 
yeah, we'll we'll uh, we'll see if we can't find him before this is out. That'd be pretty cool. Um, all right, so you're you're living in San Clemente now, and I know you're you're a contractor and you're working regularly, even during these down times when everybody's being laid off and or being furloughed, as they call it. And and you're working and you're in that same beautiful apartment. Uh, one thing that I'm I'm very aware of what you do regularly is. You write, and, and you're probably like, what the hell is he talking about? But, dude, your posts on Facebook are, are it's some of the funniest shit I've ever seen in my entire life. And I don't know if you're attempting to be funny. My guess is probably not. Um, I think you're just calling it as you see it. Uh, I, I believe you refer to your place as Casa de Naked Land. Is that right? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Sorry, man. I told you I, everything was fair game on this podcast, right? So, so you live in Casa de Naked Land, and, and of course, we're probably all wondering why it's called that. Uh, but what I love, man, is you know you you know you. I don't I don't want to say you're a very regular guy. I don't think that would be be doing you justice or even or be remotely accurate. But you know you're you're, you're definitely. I, I don't think you have political leanings. I know I don't. And we never talk about politics on this show. But, but I have to ask, you comment a lot about the, the state of the world and particularly the state of our nation. Um, what, what are your feelings about, like, what's going on? And that's a really general big question, but I want to ask it this way. What, okay. What's your feelings on, like, the mood in this country right now? On the what in this country? Like the mood of this country. Like, oh, you know, to, to lead a bit, for me, I, I feel like we're living in very divisive times um, where, where I think it's almost been, like, become acceptable for one person to be, you know, downright mean to another, whether they know him or not. And that's something okay, that you, bothers me on a daily basis. That, that, that's, okay. That'd be my answer if you asked me that question. Okay, what, do you, what's your do you take me, on what's going on out there? Okay, I'm going to give you my take, and when I give you my take um, – I've, this is actually probably a good time to express this feeling because I have I've thought about it. I've told a few people about it, but very few people will get it. You and John will get it. Why? Because you're wrestling fans. Um, I have told people that in 2016, America went through Stone Cold Steve Austin syndrome. Huh, they interesting. Want, okay, I, I, I'm vibing with that already. I get it. Go ahead. They want somebody to come in, talk shit, buck the system, you know, slang, slam two beers together, pour them down their throat, tell the boss he's a piece of shit, uh, you know, just, just and, and, and we're not going to take it anymore. And, that's, and that was what the Trump supporters were. Yep. They got a guy up there who makes fun of people, calls them names, um, you know, he's, Trump doesn't drink. I don't know if people know that, but he, he he brags that he doesn't drink. His brother died of alcoholism. I don't know if you guys knew that. No. Um, uh, but, yeah, but that's his big reason. My brother died of alcoholism, and I never touched the stuff. He told me, you know, don't ever touch the stuff, and I never did. I mean, I remember him saying it. Okay. But that is, the, that is what – that is the attitude era with Stone Cold Steve Austin, and I've told people that I think America went through an attitude era in 2016. Well, I never thought of it that way, but that's a, I, I would dare say that's a very fair analogy. Okay, go ahead. It, it, it's the only way. It's the best way that I can. It, they were sick of, they were sick of the normal. They were sick of the sick of the typical, and they got this guy in there, who I just said I'll say it again. Who was going to buck the system, 
go against the grain, start, you know, using, uh, you know, choice words that had never been heard of on network television. I mean, you can, you can use parallels. <laughs> you know what I mean? And all right. New so, let, so now I'm going to put you on the spot. I, I'm going to say, first of all, I, I categorically agree with what you're saying, but now I'm going to put you on the spot. So Stone Cold during the Attitude Era, I, you're right. I, I get it because, as you said, I was a fan. I I love the character. I like Steve as a person. He he's somewhat of a friend, but I love the character. You're right. So I like him. I liked him until I met him. No, fair enough. But we're not talking about Steve now. We're talking about the country. I, I was talking right. about Steve. So my apologies. How do you feel about what's happening in this country from 16 to 20? Oh, I I there's uh, this attitude. Uh, how does this strike you? Oh, there's no doubt in my mind that that there is. Okay, there's a man that we elect. I'd say every four years, but okay, so every four to eight years. Okay, there's a person. I, I want to say man, but I don't want to be chauvinistic about it, right? Right. But it's up to this point. There's a man that we elect every four to eight years that we look to to be a representative of our of who we are as people. Okay. I had somebody – I could not figure out what it was about uh, – uh, let me back up. When, when, when Trump announced his candidacy, I thought, oh, shit, everybody, just like everybody. I thought, oh, shit, you know, what? I could get on board with this. Here we go. Yeah, that's Somebody's interesting. I, I, I have to admit, I thought the same thing at the time. Okay. Exactly. Okay, so you know where I'm going. Okay, so something, something different, something new, right? And then he opened his mouth. And I went, I, I don't know if I want to get off. I, I think I want to get off this ride. And I just look, I, I try to keep it very simple, stupid. I want to look at a president. I don't, want to, I don't want my first impressions of a president to be, is that a wartime president? That's going to come. That's why a president surrounds himself with, you know, with uh, people that know, like, People that know military and people that and, and health advisors and people that know understand pandemics and stuff. That's a but I want a president that if he was a teacher, I would not mind sending my child into his room every day at seven or eight o'clock in the morning to spend eight hours with him to teach my child. And I don't get that from that guy. I don't get that from that guy. And that's as simple and as vanilla as I can as I can be about it. Well, you know what? It sounds like we share very similar views because I don't. I don't want to say I'm apolitical, but I'm definitely not educated politically. And I have you know close friends of mine for many years who are you know on on the cusp of being in the know with the news and, and the happenings in the country, and they, they could expound on this much more intelligently than I could. But I, I'm right where you are. It, to me, it's about. It's about the vibe, and it's about the way people are feeling and the way people conduct themselves, and I think they follow the lead that is is put out from the top position. And, all right, we don't get political on Talking Tough, but I guess I'm going to get political and express my views for the first time. Well, Rick, I I, I don't mean to cut you off, but before you finish that, what have you got on your back? You have a tattoo on your back, and what is that tattoo? Oh, dude, I've got a absolute giant mess of tattoos all over my back that have there where there's no synchronicity whatsoever. Um, okay, well, let me help you along here. Don't you have a tattoo that says coexist? I do. There you go. That's all there is to it. Yeah, I do. And and coexist for people that have seen the bumper sticker. It's um it's it's made up of uh, every the the C is um 
the Muslim moon and, and the X is the Jewish star and the T is the uh, Christian cross. Yeah, so it's about everybody, as you said, coexisting and getting along together. And, and that's what I don't like about what's happening in the country right now. I, I think the man on top, and, and as he was close to getting elected, I'm almost ashamed to say it now, I, I used to say, well, if he gets elected, at least it'll be entertaining. And it was for a while, man, but I think it's beyond that now. I, I, I think the I think the mood is, is divisive out there. Uh, I think it's mean. Um and I'd like to uh, I would just like to live in a it's not very political or very educated, but I like to live in a warmer and fuzzier place, that's all. Well I yeah. just I look at a guy that knows what buttons to push to get his voter, his supporter, uh, riled up. Without question, and that's, not, and that's not and that's not what a president is about. And when you might not like uh, what is written about you in the New York Times, president, you know, keep your mouth shut. That's that's none of your concern. That that you you're here to run a country, not not you're not here for a popularity contest. If you were, you would have won the popular vote. I hate to say that, but um, it 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 it. I just he's as unpresidential as as I can. I, yeah, I just. I'm going to say it here first. John, John, can you give us a drum roll, please? Yeah. <laughs> All right, there's our drum roll. Thank you. Yeah. You ready? I can't believe it's so long, Frank. Marriott, 2024. No, come on. I, no. <laughs> I just, no. Uh, we, we need a change, but you know what? Let's not, let's not, not get too deep into that. It sounds like we're on the same page. Um, Evan, if... I know that you do everything. I don't know. It may not be intentional, but it seems like you do whatever you can to stay out of the public eye. If if people want to know more about you or follow you anywhere, is there anywhere to do that, or you just prefer to leave that uh, as it is? No, there's nowhere. I mean, I, I have my Facebook page, which is I don't know if it's been a blessing or a curse. Um, I didn't start that page, by the way. It was a friend of mine's girlfriend that started it back in '09. And uh, and it just a few people that I hadn't seen in years were, uh, friended me, and it just took off from there. Um, yeah, I know you get into some energetic debates on your page, and it's just under your name, Evan Marriott, right? Yeah, yeah. And but I mean, I, you're I don't... maxed out at friends, but people can follow yeah. you there, and I get get uh, I think uh, entertaining and unique take on a lot of what's happening in the country at this point. So I, uh, I hope you I, don't mind, I, but I'm. Uh, putting it out there for people to take a look at your page because I, no, I like to look at it. I think it's funny. No, I don't, I don't mind it, but i tell you what is funny is that and you've seen this, uh, both of you guys have seen this, is, is it, it is comical to me, and they are fun to look at, but man, it's it's amazing how social media is nowadays with, especially with the females out there, and it's, they've all got a, no one knows who the hell they are, but they all have a public figure page, like they're like, you know, a Kardashian or there's some major celebrity, and I'm thinking, you know, I, I had a girl once tell me I was, I was out and we were eating dinner and, and she wasn't with us. She was at the bar and I was with a group of people and I started talking to her and I said, hey, uh, you know, can I get your number? She goes, oh, just go to, she goes, go to my go to my public figure page. On oh, God. And I'm like, what? Would you have like 200 like, fans or something like that? That's that? awesome. I'm like, that's you fantastic. To, you're not going to give me your number. You want me to go to your public figure page on some social media? I'm like, no, I'm, 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 I'm good. I'm, I'm good. <laughs> and, and you know me. And you know me, Rick. I, I'm not going to – I would never throw back at her. You know, come on. Look, I've, I've been on Howard Stern three times. I've been on this. I've done this. I've done this. Who the fuck? I'm like, you got a public figure page? I don't even have a public figure page. And I'm like, come on. Really? 
it's not that great, you know. No, it, it, it is so much like that. And, and this is a, a bit of an aside, but I have to say it at the risk of putting ourselves over. You know, I, I think about you and, and Tom Howard and Sean O'Hare and, and Stefan, and, and I, despite the fact that I'm a, a foot shorter and 200 pounds less than all you guys, I like to sometimes put myself in that group. And I, I think for as much shit as we all went out and caused and as much uh, havoc as, as we wreaked or hell as we raised, uh, I always, I think part of what bonded us was we're always cool with the women, man. We're we're not going to give them a bad time, but you know we're going to be we're going to be nice, we're going to be respectful. But if but if they're going to be like that, then later days, right? Oh yeah, yeah. No, I remember. Yeah, no, I remember many nights when when uh, yeah we yeah that's we won't get into that shit. Now, do you have a do you have a girlfriend these days? Do what you say? Do you have a girlfriend these days? No, no. I was seeing a girl uh, last year and didn't work out, and I've just been kind of kind of single ever since. But I don't, I don't get all. I don't, I don't worry about that. No, you, you and me both. Just curious. I'm sure some people out there were wondering that. I was wondering it, so, so I wanted to ask. And uh, you know, I, I get that you like to live a like even keeled, you know, simple life these days. I know I, I very much aspire to that. But that said, like, what, what gets you excited these days? What are you, what are you looking forward to? Um, I'll tell you what. I'm starting to appreciate more, and I think it's a, I think it's something that I'm trying not to think about what the time that I've lost. Um, but I'm I'm trying to, and this is going to sound really corny, but I mean, how corny can it be? I'm trying to really appreciate the time I have with my family these days. Yeah, you're really um, close with your parents, for instance, right? Yeah, my mother and my father are still alive. Uh, I'm really fortunate for that. They're 77, going on 50, and um. And I don't think they know that they're 77, and, and that's a great thing. But you just you 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 look back. I was talking to my sister about this over the holidays this past year, this past Christmas. It's just um, you you don't realize how that time slips away until it slips away, you know. And I know that you know our our you know we're all on a timer, and I I'm starting to call them more. I'm starting to. I mean, and I know you you know, I, I just that. I'm, I'm trying to appreciate the things that I didn't appreciate years ago that when I actually had the money to travel back and see them, you know what I mean? And, and I do now, but I mean, it just, it, it, I'm trying to just appreciate family more because I know a lot of people don't have family. I know people that don't have a father or a mother or either. And it's just, uh, you know, I want to, I want to just take advantage of the blessings that I have. That's, that's great. You know, and, and there's a huge lesson in that, I think, for everybody. I'm, I'm, I'm one of the, the orphans you mentioned a moment ago. And, you know, I, I would love to have, you know, a dad, a mom around still. Um, and, I, and I don't. But I, I, don't, I don't regret what I don't have. It's, you know, I, I've got four dogs, and this may sound corny. You right. were corny a few moments ago. But I, I'm, like, so, the, so much these days just appreciating being the best, you know, dog dad that I can. And... Well, you you do a lot with pit bull rescue and stuff like that. It's amazing, Rick. I mean, that's a huge part of my life. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, you eat it up. You love it. If you eat it, sleep it, and breathe it. Yep, but yeah, no, thank you, I, absolutely. But yeah, I, I think the, the lesson though is that in what you said, man. And if everybody, you know, everybody could stop for a second and and take stock in in what they have, it'd be a, be a much happier, friendlier world, wouldn't it? I'm getting a little philosophical now, but I truly believe what I just said. 
Yeah, it's a lot of truth to that. So, Ezra, man, it's been really good having you on and good catching up with you. Um, well, I mean, I, I I don't even know how to wrap this up from, you know, for, from a guy who, you know, Evan Marriott, you know, a.k.a. Joe Millionaire, who who absolutely looked to be on top of the world, you know, what, what people would perceive to be on top of the world with the magazine covers and the viewers and the television ratings, to a guy who I'm, I'm really happy to hear it sounds like he's on top of the world with the life he's living right now, man, and I, I really appreciate hearing about that. Yeah, you just gotta you gotta keep it simple, stupid, Rick. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. Uh, I, I'm gonna uh, I'm that's gonna be my, my mantra for the rest of the day, man. Maybe the rest of the year. <laughs> hey, Evan, man, th- thank you so much, and I really, really appreciate you being on. And uh, you, you have any uh, any parting uh, words uh, from the wise for us? No, I mean, I just I no, I. I uh... No, I just I appreciate you reaching out to me and um you know and uh to you know for a guy that has never felt like he was really relevant at all, even though when I you know <laughs> I've done probably a lot more than most. I just you know, I uh I appreciate you reaching out and acknowledging that and um I appreciate your kind words. Uh and uh just uh this has been fun. It's been it's 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 been a good good little good little couple hour escape. Right on, man. Hey, Evan, thank you very much. It's uh, Rick Bassman here on Talking Tough um, in the wilds of Maui, talking to my longtime friend, Evan Marriott, on the beach in San Clemente, signing off on Talking Tough. Thank you, Evan. Thank you. I'll tell you something you already know. The world ain't all sunshine and rainbows. It's a very mean and nasty place, and I don't care how tough you are, it will beat you to your knees and keep you there permanently if you let it. You, me, or nobody is going to hit as hard as life. But it ain't about how hard you hit. It's about how hard you can get hit and keep moving forward. How much you can take and keep moving forward. That's how winning is done. Now, if you know what you're worth, now go out and get what you're worth. But you got to be willing to take the hits and not pointing fingers saying you ain't where you want to be because of him or her or anybody. Cowards do that and that ain't you. You're better than that!